All right, if you would, uh, open your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 5. Hopefully, as you came in, you received, uh, you received a bulletin, and on the back of that bulletin are some very, very simple notes. Just a couple of words, but it does give you some room that if you would like to take some notes as we go along today, you can do that. And as well, you will see on the back of your bulletin down toward the bottom a reading plan that will take us through the Sermon on the Mount as we continue to study God's Word and look at this portion of Scripture. Last week we did an introduction to the Sermon on the Mount, trying to get a big picture of what God is doing through His Son Jesus in this time, this, this famous sermon that's given here in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And you also see a portion of it over in the book of Luke as well. And now we're going to start to kind of jump into the details, to get into some of the pieces of the Sermon on the Mount. We're not going to be able to cover every single word in the sermon, but we are going to look at the major themes and and hone in on some of the really difficult things that Jesus says in the sermon. This morning we're going to start reading in verse 3. You're not going to see those verses up on the screen. The verses up on the screen are going to pick up at verse 13. But I want us to get the, uh, the big picture starting out here. So look at Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to start in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, or sometimes it says the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And now in verse 13 is where we're going to focus for this morning, 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. May God bless the reading of his word. If you're here this morning, it doesn't matter if this is your first time in church, it doesn't matter if you're interested in spiritual things, if you're here and you're just curious about church, you're here because of a family member or a friend, we want this to be a safe place. We want you to come and not feel like you have to put on a fake spirituality. We want you to come and not feel like you have to live up to a certain standard to be able to come and hear God's word and think about what it means to follow Jesus But it doesn't matter what background you come from this morning. Every one of us was created to bear the image of God in this world. In Genesis chapter 1, when it talks about the creation account, it says 
that we were created in God's image. And then it says to have dominion over the earth. God created us to live in his world in order to show the world what he's like. To show the world his love and his goodness and his hope and his joy. That is the reason that every single person on the planet was created, was to bear the image of God in this world in order to bring glory to God. Which means that when sin comes into the picture, the problem with sin is not just that it messes up our relationship with God, but the problem with sin is it destroys our very purpose for living. Because when people are living in sin, it means they're not living for the purpose that they were created for. So when I sin, I'm living for myself instead of showing the world what the image of God looks like. Which then means, and this is huge for us to hear, especially those of us like me who have grown up in church. Which means that when we are saved, when we experience God's work in our life, when we become a true follower of Jesus, the result of that is not just that we would go to heaven when we die. So many times in church, if we're not careful, we we have this idea that we want people to get saved so they will go to heaven when they die. That's a very good thing. I'm completely in favor of that. I think that's true. I think that's good. But it's not the only reality. The reality is, is that when God saves us, when he makes us new, when he forgives us of our sins, what he does is he puts us back in position to do what he created us to do. So we were created to bear his image in the world, and we were also saved to do that very same thing. When we experience his power in his life and in our life, then we are ready to do what he created us to do. Bear his image, show the world what he's like. So we were created to make an impact on the world around us. A man named Philip Yancey, in a book called Vanishing Grace, he says it this way. Unfortunately, most of my secular friends, he's using secular to mean his friends that don't go to church with him. He says, most of my secular friends view the church not as a change agent that can affect all of society, but as a place where like-minded people go to feel better about themselves. That may be how your friends see your church involvement. Not that you come to church because it will make an impact on the world around you, but simply because you want to be around like-minded people who make you feel better. He goes on to say, that image of the church stands in sharp contrast to the vision of Jesus, who said little about how believers should behave when we gather together and much about how we can affect the world around us. The reality is, is if we claim to be Christians, if we are a part of the church, which is a gathering of God's people in this place at this time, our main purpose is to bear God's image in the world around us, to show the world what God's love and goodness and joy looks like. We're to impact the world. And if we're not doing that, we're not doing what he created and saved us to do. And so you say, well, what does that look like? Well, that's why we have the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount tells us this is what it looks like to impact the world around you. And specifically, here at the beginning, Jesus says it looks like salt and light. Look back in verse 13. If you have your phone open and you want to open up to that area, if you want to underline some things in in your Bible, you can do that as well. Also, if your vision is good, you can look up and and see what's on on the screen, some of the things that I've underlined and, and highlighted There at the beginning of verse 13, it says, 
You are the salt of the earth. Now that word you is extremely important. Underline it, circle it. If your phone has a highlight feature, highlight it. That word you is crucial. The reason is, is way, the way the original language is set up in this passage is that word you is emphasized. It's like Matthew took a spotlight and put it on the word you. Why? What he's doing is he is saying you, the people I'm talking to, are the only ones who can do what I'm going to tell you to do. In other words, you are the only ones who can be the salt of the earth. Who is the you? Well, it's everybody that he just talked about in verses 3 through 12. If you're poor in spirit, if you're hungering after righteousness, if you're persecuted because of following Christ, if you're a peacemaker, if you're a merciful person, those people, the people that are listed in the Beatitudes, those are the people who are to be the salt of the earth. Which means that if those people are to do it, then it can't be put off on a political party. Or it can't be put off on the education system. Or it can't be put off on a better business model. The only way that we can be salt is if us, as individuals, who've experienced God's work in our life, who are living out those beatitudes, those blessed statements there, we, you, are to be the salt of the earth. And then you notice that I underline the up there. The reason I underline the is it's another word that's emphasized here. In other words, the only salt. You are the salt of the earth. Jesus has no backup plan. We like to have contingency plans. Last week, uh, I wanted to share God's word with you by, by trying to speak the Sermon on the Mount uh, the way that maybe it would have felt like to not have any words but just hear the Sermon on the Mount. I had a backup plan in case that went off the train tracks. You know, like sometimes you're doing things in life and you think, you know what, this is a good idea, but I need a contingency plan. Especially if you're an engineer or if you're involved in some type of business model, you want a backup. You want a contingency plan in case it doesn't go well. The word the that's underlined on the screen tells us that Jesus has no contingency plan. This is God's plan to impact the world. You are the salt. He's not going to go out and find another salt. There's not a lot of different salts. You who follow after Jesus are the salt of the earth. And that word earth is, is really interesting. I, I, don't, I didn't look at all of the translations this week, but if you look there in verse 13, it says, you are the salt of the earth in the one that, that I have and that I'm looking at. Look down at verse 14 just for a second in your phone or, or in your Bible. Verse 14, which we're going to get to in a few minutes, says, you are the light of the world. So 13 says earth, 14 says world. It might not seem like a big deal, but it actually is a very big deal in this passage. That word earth in verse 13, if you want to write out to the side of it, you could write the word land, L-A-N-D, out to the side of earth in verse 13. It's a very specific reference that Jesus is using here, and he says, you are the salt of the earth. When his audience heard this, they would have heard the word land and specifically the land of Israel, the land where God's people were living there on the east side of the Mediterranean. Jesus is making a very specific reference to saying, you are the salt of the land, the earth. In other words, you're going to be the salt in this area where you live. 
When we get down to verse 14, we're going to find out that the word world is referring to a different location. So he's very specific here that you are to be the salt of the earth. What does he mean by salt, though? What, why use this imagery? What's going on here? I want to give you some different references in Scripture where it talks about light. I mean, not light, where it talks about salt. We're not going to read all of these right now, but if you, if you want to jot them down and look at them later, here are some things that the Bible says about salt. Leviticus chapter 2, verse 13, it says that salt was added to sacrifices. So it was, salt was a religious symbol from the very early pages of the Bible, Leviticus 2.13. Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 4, it says that babies were rubbed with salt to purify them from childbirth. Now, I know that as you're planning for, for your birth, it, it's very popular to put together a birth plan. We had it. It was my job to enforce it with the nurse. That was my own, like, I had very few... Being involved as the husband in childbirth is very difficult. Uh, so many times I think we're underrated in, in you know, how, how difficult our involvement is in the, in the childbirth. I've, I've heard it's difficult from the other side, you know, that that's, that's not easy. But it's hard. It's hard to stay awake all night. Austin, she came, like she started coming, you know, 6 or 7 o'clock and didn't show up till the next morning. That's difficult. Like, hard to stay awake that whole time. And so my job was to enforce the birth plan, to make sure that the nurse followed through on what she was supposed to do. And I, I just felt so incompetent for my, for my role in that, in that birth process. But uh, in, this, in this culture, you added salt to the baby. Hopefully that wasn't a part of your birth plan, that you added salt to your child. But it, it was this idea that salt was thought to bring purity, maybe because it was white Maybe because of some of its, its cleansing agents, but it was thought to bring purity. We'll strike that birth story from the record, by the way. Well, 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 20, there's a prophet named Elisha, and the water around the city of Jericho, the water is bad. It, it's based St. Louis water. It, it's not good. It, it doesn't look good. It doesn't taste good. The water's bad. And so the prophet Elisha, you know what he does? He throws salt into the water, and the water's pure again. So, you know, maybe we need to try that here. Throw salt into the water. and We have plenty of salt water right off the shore. So, But it's salt, in Elisha's story, was thought to purify the water. Exodus chapter 30, the Lord tells Moses to make an incense, like a perfume, and he says to season it with salt so it will be pure and holy. Another reference to purity and holiness. Job chapter 6, uh, verse 6. Job says to salt things in order to give them flavor. If your food is bland, you add some salt to it. Uh, hopefully Tony's, saturated salt. But uh, Mark chapter 9, verse 50 talks about salt being a seasoning. Colossians chapter 4 verse 6 talks about how our conversations are supposed to be seasoned with salt. So salt, surprisingly enough, is a very common theme throughout the Bible. When you look at all the themes, the things you come back around to is that salt is involved in purification. And salt, especially in this culture, was used to, let me try to say this correctly, to delay the decay of meat. 
Many of you even grew up in a culture. We're not very many years removed from a time that the only way you were going to be able to preserve meat for your family, some of you remember doing this maybe with your parents or your grandparents, was to make sure the meat was salted properly in order to delay the decay. When Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, he is saying, you are my agent to delay the decay in the world around you. We live in a world that is decaying. You don't need me to tell you that. You, you can just look around and realize that that's happening. We live in a world of corruption, a world of decay, and we're called to be purifying agents in that world to delay the decay in the world around us. So what can go wrong with this plan? If Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, what possibly could go wrong with that? One thing that can go wrong with it is that the salt never makes it out of the shaker. The idea that we have this salt, you are the salt, and yet the salt never gets onto the meat. The salt never makes it onto what it's supposed to impact. You know those people at your family lunch gatherings who have the ability to gather all the condiments around them? Like you look at the table and they have the salt, the pepper, the ketchup, the mustard, the barbecue sauce. Like they've managed to make sure that it all stayed right by their plate. Everybody has somebody like that in their family that seems to have to control who gets the condiments. This is the idea that what good would the salt do if it didn't make it onto the food? This is the reason, this is the reason that sometimes I'm so hesitant about us doing more church programs. You'll hear me say that, and you may say, well, Owen just really doesn't value the church, or he doesn't value what we're trying to do here. The reason I'm hesitant on so many church programs is that God has created us and called us to be the salt of the earth. And if the salt stays in the shaker, it's not going to do what it was created to do. Jesus says later in the Sermon on the Mount, if you love those who love you, what reward are you going to get for that? If you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than all the others? It comes naturally for us to stay in the shaker, for us to stay right here, except we have been called to be the salt of the earth. And so in church, we have to constantly battle to say, you know what? Maybe we don't need to come to the church building again. Maybe we need to be in the land Maybe we need to be in the earth, being the salt that God has called us to be. So that's one problem that comes. The second problem is Jesus says here in verse 13, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? The second problem that can happen with salt is that it becomes tasteless, or or it loses its salty quality. It would become all uh, pretend, essentially. The word here in the original language, if you spoke the word into English, it would be the word moron. Now, don't call anybody a moron. If you're in third through fifth grade and you're staying in here, I'm not condoning that you call anybody a moron, uh, but it's, it's the word for foolish. It says that if the salt loses its saltiness, if it becomes tasteless, it, it becomes foolish. It no longer has the property or the identity that it was created to have. I want you to look at this picture on the screen. We'll see how well it comes, it comes out. Okay, it came out pretty well. This is the Dead Sea in, in Israel. The Jordan River comes down south out of the Sea of Galilee, and it comes into the Dead Sea. 
And the salinity and the mineral content is so high in the Dead Sea that you can get in there and you can lean back and you won't sink. You just float in the water. It's an incredible feeling to be in there and and to sense the salinity and the mineral content in, in the water. And what happens is with evaporation, salt deposits form on the edge of the Dead Sea. And so when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, this is the type of salt that he was talking about. But something interesting happens along the Dead Sea is you'll have certain areas of salt deposits that look like this, but they're actually just the residue of salt. And what they turn into is a mineral like gypsum. So wallboard, if you're involved in construction, that that sort of thing, that type of white material, it can look like salt, but if you tasted it, it would be like eating wallboard. It, It would be tasteless. It would have lost its salt. So get the analogy here. Something can look like salt, but no longer have the effect or the properties of salt. The analogy is not hard to make, is it, for what Jesus was going for? It's possible to look like a Christian. It's possible to look like a follower of Jesus, to do all of these things that make you look like you're this Except when you seek to make an impact, there is no impact because you've lost your saltiness. You've become corrupted. And I worry worry that sometimes, this for myself and for our church as a whole, that we're supposed to be the salt of the earth and we're the gypsum of the earth. We look like salt, but we don't have the impact that salt is supposed to have. And so Jesus warns here, he says, you are the salt of the earth, but if you're not careful the salt will lose its saltiness. It will become tasteless and will no longer be good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. When we are called to be salt, the way salt works is by spreading out, by moving out and making its impact. Now, I know that none of you have pranked anyone like this, and if you get kicked out of a restaurant today for doing it, it's not my fault, okay? I take no responsibility, but you loosen the cap on the salt shaker just a little bit. So somebody comes along and they salt their food and you get this huge amount of salt that ends up, like I said, if you get kicked out of the restaurant today, do not call me. It's not my fault, okay? But you, you trick somebody and they, they shake the salt shaker and it comes out and it all ends up in one spot. It does no good. Salt that is overly concentrated in one place actually even becomes counterproductive. As a church, we have to be careful that we are not so concentrated in one area, specifically a particular building, that we fail to be the salt of the earth. We fail to move out and be this purifying, decay-delaying agent in the world around us. So that's Jesus' first image of salt. Let's get to the second while while we still have time. In verse 14, it says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Okay, when he's referring to light here, one of the things that he is doing is he's picking up on this incredible stream that goes throughout the Old Testament. We could look through tons of passages in the Old Testament that talk about light, but I want to show you a couple really quickly. The first, Isaiah um, chapter 9, is it? Yeah, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. 
Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. This is a a, a prophecy of sort of the coming of, of the Messiah. Isaiah chapter 49, talking more about another prophecy of the Messiah. The Lord says, it is too... It is too light, now that's kind of a tough play on words there, but it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. Okay, this is incredible the way that Matthew in chapter 5 ties into this prophecy from Isaiah because watch how this happens. The first half of Isaiah 49.6 is servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. Do you remember how we talked about you are the salt of the earth? Earth is a reference to Jacob and Israel, to God's people. But then he says, I will also make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation shall reach to the end of the earth. Then in John's gospel, when you get to the New Testament, you have references to Jesus being the light. It says in John chapter 1, starting in verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. John 1, 8, John the Baptist was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. And then in chapter 9, verse 5, Jesus says, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So he is the light of the world, that is meant to portray and speak salvation, display salvation to the ends of the earth. But as he prepares his disciples, he says, I'm not going to just be the light of the world, but you are going to be the light of the world. Your radiance, what I do in your life, is going to spread beyond just this little area, beyond the earth, beyond the land. It is going to spread to the entire world. This was a prophecy from the very beginning of time, and it holds true even today, that we are called to be light. But light's a funny thing, because when does light really do its work? When it's dark. The purpose of light is that it would shine into a dark space. If you want to see how effective a light is, if you want to see what it looks like to truly be a light, How do you find that out? You go into a dark space and you see it shine. If a whole bunch of lights are concentrated into one place, you're not going to know how effective those lights are. We have sort of a running joke around our church property that our lights could go out at any time. I mean, you can look up at the ceiling and there are lights that are not on, that should be on because they go out and they're difficult to change. And This happens at your house, I'm sure, where you have... Thank you, Jeff. Well, well played. I'm glad you're paying attention up there. So, uh, that's funny. Um, we'll have lights that go out. You don't know if these lights are that effective because we still have light in here. We can still see... But if Jeff pulls another trick or, or Ronnie or somebody pulls a trick up there and cuts the light down, then you're really going to know if the light is effective. Sometimes, sometimes, I think that in church, we're like the light area at Lowe's. You go into that area and all of these lights are turned on. And you can tell that they work. You can see that they're lights. But you really don't know how well they work until they go into a dark place. And then you see what kind of light they put off. 
as a church, we are the light of the world. As God's people, we are the light of the world, except if we're always concentrated in a place where there's a bunch of other lights, we're not really going to know what our light is all about. We're not going to know what it looks like to shine into darkness. This is why we need to be people who run toward dark places. We, as God's people, as God's people, we should be drawn toward darkness. Not in order to be sucked into that darkness, but so that our light can shine into it. There are thousands of people groups around the world who need to know the light of the gospel. There are areas in our community around us that need the light of the gospel. We have to resist with everything in us that we would be confined and concentrated to one area, but that we would be sent out to be the light of the world. And how do we do that? Well, it says down in verse 15, or actually in verse 16, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now, this could sound like a contradiction because later on in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is going to tell them, don't practice your acts of righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. But right here, he specifically says that you're supposed to be the light of the world so that they will see your good works. Is Jesus contradicting himself? No. The issue is intent. In this passage, it's so that they will glorify your Father who is in heaven. In Matthew 6, Jesus says, don't practice your acts of righteousness in front of others to be seen by them so that you would be honored by them. When we do good things in the world around us, when we serve as salt and light, is our purpose that people would look at us or is our purpose that people would glorify God? What are we driven by? What is our purpose in life? It should be to bear God's image in the world around us so that people would see his greatness and be drawn to him. All right, how do we wrap this up this morning? How do we apply this to our life? You might say, Owen, I like the idea of salt, I like the idea of light. I want to know how to do that. How, how do I live that out? You haven't given us very many specifics. And I'll tell you that that's true. Do you know where the specifics come? They come in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. The reason Jesus does this at the beginning is he says, you're going to be salt, you're going to be light, and if you want to know what that looks like, keep listening. Keep reading, and I'll show you what it looks like to be salt and light in the world around you. And so we're going to keep doing that week after week, saying, what does it look like to do this? This morning, what I want us to recognize is that the purpose of our church is to be a salt and light factory. That is why we are here, to be a salt and light factory. I don't know if any of you ever worked in salt factories or if you've ever worked in light factories, but we're in one right now. When I was in college, I was an intern for a youth group in Texas, and the name of our youth building was the Salt Factory. It was in big letters out on the side of the building to remind the students that the reason they were there was not to fulfill a religious duty. It was to be made light and salt so that they would go out and impact the world around us. And so I just invite us. Let's look at our lives. Let's look at our church Are we a salt and light factory? 
Are we continually producing disciples by God's grace, by the power of his spirit, who go out and act as purifying, decay-delaying agents in the world, and who display the light of God into dark places? Is that what we're known for? And if we're not known for that, what needs to change? What needs to change with me? What needs to change with each of us individually? What needs to change with who we are as a people, because this is what God has called us to. During our response time today, we're going to do something a little bit different. We kind of mix it up from time to time. This is going to be a time of reflection. The time for response, I am always available. If you say, you know what, I'm ready to join this church. I want to be a part of this church. Or you say, I want to know more about Jesus. Find me afterward. I'm going to be sticking right down here at the front. You can call me or email me anytime. But right now, as a church, I want us to spend a couple of minutes, one or two minutes, in a time of reflection saying, am I salt? Am I light? Corey's going to play in the background. I'm going to lead us through a time of prayer as we have this reflection, and then we'll be dismissed in a few minutes. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your son came as Emmanuel, God with us, to remind us of the purpose for which we were created. We were created to show the world what you are like and to bring you glory by doing that. And when we sin, when we turn against you, we put all the focus on ourselves and our purpose in life breaks down. And you save your people. You are creating and redeeming a people who will do what you created them to do. And God, I pray that that would be true of us. I pray that we would be salt and light. As you're sitting there reflecting, I know it's so easy to be distracted, uh, so easy to have things going on in your mind. I've battled that standing right here. But just for a minute, think about that picture that you saw earlier of the salt deposits along the Dead Sea. And ask yourself, am I salt ready to be used by Jesus in the world around me? I go to school, I go to work, I spend time with my family. I'm in places where the world is decaying, where the behavior is corrupt, where the things that people pursue are corrupt. And God's called me to be salt. He's called me to be a pure, holy, decay-delaying agent. Here's what I really want you to ask yourself, and I'm going to ask myself this question right now. Am I salt, or do I just look like salt? Do I come to church because it's a religious ritual, or because I want to please someone else, or because I'm trying to earn points with God, or do I come because I want to be made into salt? God, let us look deep within. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. And the Father's will is that we would be salt and light. It does no good just to say words and for that not to be the case in our lives. God, make us salt. Get us out of the shaker. God forbid that our salt should be contained to this building, to this time. God, get us into the land. And Father, send us to dark places.
There's a people group of a million who live in Yemen in the slums who work as street sweepers. A million people who have no gospel presence there. Yeah, there's a people group of half a million living in Laos. No presence of the gospel. And we have members from here who are in India and Japan. And frankly, we don't have to go to those places to find darkness. We could drive down Beach Boulevard. We could go down Highway 90 or up 603 into the kill. It's not hard to find darkness. It is hard sometimes to shine as a light in that darkness. God, I pray that First Baptist Church is not a place where like-minded people get together to feel better about themselves. God, I pray that this is a salt and light factory that exists for the furtherance of your kingdom and for your glory. Not for our popularity, not for what we can gain from it, but for what you desire to do in and through us. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your salvation. We thank you for the work that you continue to do in us each and every day. And we pray this in Jesus' name.